Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. I heard this story one time about two kids, kind of grade school age kids, that had gone to their grandparents uh, about a week or so before Christmas. And uh, right before they were laid down for bed one night, they, they were knelt down by their bed to pray. And, uh, you know, again, it was about a week before Christmas, and so they got Christmas on the mind, they got gifts on the mind. And so one of the kids, he starts to pray. And he says, Dear God, remember that for Christmas I would like a new puppy dog and a new PlayStation. And the older brother leaned over to him and said, What are you yelling for? God is not deaf. And he said, yeah, but Grandma is. (laughs) Man, it's crazy that we're just like a week until Christmas, just eight days until Christmas. And I'm so excited. I love Christmas. I love holidays. Uh, If you've been around for any length of time, you've kind of heard me talking about different holidays and things. But I love Christmas uh, and all that it means because it, it means gifts and it means family and it means food and it means fun. And this year we get to celebrate Christmas Eve together as a church. And so you heard it just a minute ago, but we'd love for you to be here next Sunday. Really special service that we've got planned uh, for Christmas Eve where we're just going to have a time of worship and inspiration and just a, a moment to reflect and remember what we really are celebrating in this Christmas season. So be here with us next Sunday, 930 and 11. But if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me today to Luke chapter 2. Last week I started a, a series called Christmas at Canton, and we were looking at Luke chapter 2 because it's probably the most famous uh, passage to tell the Christmas story. Uh, again, if you, if you grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, uh, anywhere that you've probably heard the Christmas story read, most often it's read from Luke chapter 2. Not always, and there are definitely other places in Scripture that you've probably heard the Christmas story come from. But Luke chapter 2 is one of the most famous, if not the most famous, telling of the Christmas story from the gospel account. And last week we talked about the, the admonition of the angels to do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And we just talked about this idea that we are encouraged throughout Scripture not to be afraid. Fear not. Uh, And and really the peace that comes to us from understanding that God has a plan and God is working all things together for our good. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we read this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. I want to focus our attention this morning on two verses in particular. The second half of verse 10 and verse 11, we just read it, but I want to read those specifically. This is what it says. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I want to talk to you this morning about the idea of joy to the world. Joy to the world. It is a famous Christmas carol. 
Christmas song. It's the lyric that we hear over and over and over throughout this season. But the idea of joy is something that I want us to unpack a little bit to understand what is joy really. Now, a lot of you may have heard uh, different ideas or ways to define joy, or maybe you have your own working definition for joy. But I want us to spend a few minutes together today before we, uh, again, respond in a very specific way around this idea of joy. And so I've really just got three ideas that I believe come from Scripture uh, that I think will help us. You can, you can jot these down if you want to. But the first, th- first thought I have for you today is that joy is different than happiness. Joy is different than happiness. Maybe you've heard somebody say, you know, I just want to be happy in life. Or maybe, you know, don't worry, just be happy. Uh, but joy and happiness are not actually the same thing. Often they get confused. Often people kind of couple them together because it seems like that the, the way that we express joy is similar to the way that we express happiness. But when you're looking at joy and you're looking at happiness, you're actually looking at two different things because happiness is dependent on what is happening to you. Happiness is dependent on what is happening to you. And so happiness is a very conditional, circumstantial emotion that you and I feel because happiness is completely dependent on what's happening around you. So that's why when your favorite team wins, which hasn't been happening too often for me this year, but when your favorite team wins, you are happy. I am not so happy because my team isn't winning. Or when you find a good deal on a Christmas present, or maybe you just receive a Christmas present that you've been wanting, you are happy because the circumstances are right. You feel better, you feel good because the circumstances are right. When life seems to be fair and treating you well, you and I are happy. So we see that happy is circumstantial, it's conditional, it's based on what is happening to us, but joy is not dependent on any of those things. Joy really has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has nothing to do with our conditions. It has nothing to do with the things that we feel. It has nothing to do with if our team's winning or we get a present or we get a good deal or if life seems fair because joy is this inner sense of well-being that has nothing to do with our surroundings. Joy is an internal emotion or really an internal response, an internal choice that has no bearing on anything related to our circumstances around us. And I want you to think about this word. Everybody say the word content with me. There you go. That was good. Let's do it one more time. Some of you, I just interrupted your Facebook browsing. I totally apologize about that. But joy, we want to connect that word to the idea of being content. And a lot of times what happens is we think about content as settling, right? It's like, well, this is not what I wanted, but, you know, I guess I got to be content about it. But content at its root is really the, the word to be pleased, to be pleased. And so being content is not just deciding like, well, I mean, I guess it's okay. It's No, it's to find pleasure in what's happening, to find pleasure in everything. You ever met anybody that like they're just a glass half full guy or girl? Like it doesn't matter what's happening. They can always find the silver lining. It's like, you know, yeah, I mean, I lost my job, but just think of all the free time I'm getting now, right? <laughs> if you meet that person, just punch them right in the face on our, all of our behalf, right? Because they just seem to find pleasure in everything that happens to them. They have some way of being content, some way of finding contentment in everything around them. The book of Philippians is a book in the New Testament. It's written, it's one of the books that's written by the Apostle Paul. And he writes a letter to the church and to the group of people in the city of Philippi. And Philippians is only four chapters long. But in those four chapters, Paul uses the word joy 16 times. That's a lot 
for one word in just four chapters of Scripture. And it means even more to us when we understand the context, uh, context of where Paul was at when he was writing this letter. When Paul was writing the letter to the Philippians in the city of Philippi, do you know where he was? He was in Rome. And he was imprisoned in Rome. And he was chained to a guard. And so, like, I don't know if he was right-handed or left-handed, but I'm assuming, like, he unhooked whatever hand he had to write with. The guard allowed him to do that so that maybe he was still chained with his left hand, but now he could write with his right hand. Or maybe the guard's arm just moved every time Paul was writing as well. I don't know how that worked. But he's writing a letter to the city of Philippi, to the people in Philippi, while he's in Rome, while he's imprisoned, And so if I think about it, I think about the fact that Paul is choosing, even in spite of bad circumstances, Paul is choosing to be joyful and encourage them to find joy in spite of their circumstances, which tells me that joy is not an emotion like happiness. Joy is a state of being. It's a state of being. Happiness is dependent on what is happening to you, but joy is a state of being. Look at this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, I have learned to be content, to find pleasure, whatever the circumstances. Whatever means, no matter what, anything, everything. If I am chained to a guard in Rome, writing to you in Philippi, if I'm standing on a wood stage that's a little loose right here, if I'm being honest, and I'm afraid I'm going to fall through, if I'm standing there in that spot and you're a long way away from me, I'm still choosing to be content, to find pleasure, no matter what's happening in a room that's dusty, I'm choosing to be content because it's an inner state of being. Whatever my circumstances, I choose to have joy. The second thing that I want you to see today is that joy is a fruit. Joy is a fruit. And you're like, well, I don't think I've seen that in the area where they sell fruit at the grocery store near my house. But joy is a fruit. Galatians chapter 5 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. You may be familiar with it, but if not, I want to read it to you. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I love that last line. It says that there's no law that can keep us from exhibiting or producing the fruit of the Spirit. So when I read this, what it tells me is that the fruit of my life, not just happiness that I feel, not just joy that I would even say I might feel, fruit is something that's produced. So something that's evident to other people, it's a fruit of my life. It's something that is, it comes out of me. It is produced by the inside of me to come out of me. And so if the Spirit of God is at work in my life, I ought to have joy. So that says to us in the room, for those of us that are Christ followers, I recognize not everybody in the room is, but it says to us, if you're a Christ follower, that you have joy inside of you that is supposed to come out of you because it is the fruit of the work of God's Spirit in you. And so if you don't display joy, you need to check yourself. And you need to say, okay, God, what is missing in my life? If I'm not a joyful person, why is the Spirit of God not producing this in me? Is there something that's kind of clogging up my heart? Is there something that's pinching the vines here? Is there something that's keeping you from being able to work freely in my life? Now, if you've attended here for any length of time at all, you know that I have no green thumb. Everything that we buy that we're supposed to, you know, plant and it just, you know, it's going to bear fruit for our whole house, it dies in a matter of hours. I don't know how it happens, but when I get my hands on it, it's good and dead. So, but I do have a friend who's a strawberry farmer, all right? I have a friend who's a strawberry farmer, and here's what he tells me. 
He tells me that strawberries, unlike some other fruit, strawberries are not killed by rainstorms. They actually thrive in rainstorms. There are other fruit that, that's the same story for them, but others are not. you got to really watch them. If there's bad storms going, it, it, it hurts the vine or it hurts the root, or maybe there's, you know, depending on how it's happened, the winds may knock it over. But for strawberries, I'm told that the storms actually help the strawberries to grow and to thrive. And, and I want you to keep that picture in mind when you start to think about joy, because some of you, you're walking through a storm right now. You, you've got something going on that this is not the way you would have written the story. There's some confusion, there's some chaos, the winds have kicked up, it seems like the storm clouds are surrounding you, and if maybe it's not raining yet, you feel like the rain is coming, and you're not sure it's a good rain, and you're not sure you're going to make this. And so I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself this way, but what if you just said, today I want to be a strawberry, right? That's what I want to be. I just want to be a strawberry. I want to allow the storm that I may be walking through right now to actually cause me to thrive and not to die. I want the storm to actually help grow some things in me. And God, if it's possible, would you allow joy to be produced even in the midst of circumstances I would not choose for myself? And that really brings us to the third idea about joy. Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. It's a decision. You know, happiness is almost a natural response. Something good happens, we've been conditioned to be happy about it. You got a raise, you got a job, you got a boyfriend, you got a girlfriend. It's like, whoo, I'm happy. They said yes. They, somebody finally said yes. And so we're happy and we're excited about it. But what if you and I had the opportunity today to choose joy no matter our circumstances? When we didn't get the job we wanted, when we didn't get the pay raise we thought that was due to us, what if we chose in advance to have joy, to produce joy, to allow God to work in us the way that he desires to do so? And what it requires of us is to stop our win-then living. Are you a win-then liver? Because here's what that looks like. When I get the job, then I'll be happy. When I get the raise, then I'll have joy. When I get married, then I'll be the kind of person that other people want to be around. But right now, I have the right to be bitter because that win hasn't happened in my life yet. You say, no, no, no. I've got to stop the win-then living, and I've got to choose joy before the circumstances come that might rob me of my happiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18 through 18 say this. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. You know, the, the little two-letter prefix there of re, you're, you're familiar with that. It just means to do over and over and over and over again. Repeat joy. Have joy on like repeat on the playlist for you. Just rejoice always. Be joyful always. Choose to have joy always in every circumstance, no matter what we're facing, no matter what's happening. Have joy in your life, in my life. I choose before something happens, I'm going to be joyful. In the good times and in the bad, I choose joy. Rejoice always. Well, we read Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 a few minutes ago, 
And remember, Paul is in prison, chained to a guard in Rome, writing to the, to the city of Philippi, to the people there. Look at the next couple of verses. He says, I know what it is, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Remember, content is to have pleasure in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're probably familiar with that last verse. We use that before we go and try to do something of great feet or great strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, you can, absolutely. God can do anything through you. He can, he can, you know, you can leap tall buildings in a single bound. Like, yes, God can do that. But what if what God wants to do in you, that all things through Christ who gives me strength, is to just be joyful? Like, what if that's what he wants to do in you? What if instead of kind of getting the promotion, what if instead of, you know, whatever, having children right, in this, right now in this season, getting married in this season, maybe instead of moving or staying, depending on what you want to do, what if what God is trying to do, what if that all things that you can do because he's giving you strength is actually just to be joyful? What if that's what he's trying to accomplish in and through your life, in and through my life? Because the message of Christmas includes joy. It's important to us in Luke chapter 2, it was so important that one of the first things that the angel declared, one of the first things that the angel said to the shepherds in the field, remember what we read, Luke chapter 2, second half of verse 10, that's what he said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? For all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. I bring you good news. What was the good news? The good news was that a Savior had come to earth. The Messiah had come. The Messiah was the anointed one. The Savior had come to the earth. I told you last week that God had been silent for 400 years. God had, he had been speaking through the prophets and the judges and his chosen people of the Old Testament, and that's the way that he was communicating with his people. But again, the Old Testament's not in chronological order, so the prophets that are speaking there, when you read some of those big books and then some of those really little books at the end of the Old Testament, those are happening if you were to overlay it with some of the other books of the narrative of the stories of the people of God in the Old Testament. And so when you're reading some of those later prophet and prophetic books, you're actually reading the things that God is saying to his people in the time, maybe when Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. And so those things are overlaid over one another. And then something happens in history where God just decides, I'm going to stop talking at this point through the prophets. He was still working. He was still allowing things to happen in and through his people. But he stopped giving prophetic words. He stopped giving clear and specific instructions. And so in this world of chaos, in the world for God's people, where they did not know what to do and how to do it because someone else was ruling over them, Rome was in charge, Caesar was in charge, and they weren't sure what they were supposed to do. All of a sudden, the angel shows up and he says, I've got good news. And this good news will produce joy for all the people. Now again, I'm going to split the room into two groups for just the next minute or two. If you are a Christ follower in the room, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in relationship with him, you've asked him not just to be the savior of your life, but also to be the Lord of your life, to lead and guide and direct you in the ways that you should live to honor him. 
I think at some point, if, if all of our stories are similar, which I think a lot of them are, at some point in your past, just like in mine, we remembered that the good news was good news for us. That we were a sinner in need of a Savior. That we were lost and we needed to be found. We were blind and we needed to be able to see. And we were thankful for the good news of a Savior come to earth for us. The problem for some Christ followers that I know is that we have received the good news and we have turned it into a weapon to use against other people and now to them it sounds like bad news. Because the good news that was good enough for us, they don't qualify for. They're too far gone. They're too lost to be found. They're too blind to ever be able to see. They're too much of a sinner to ever be saved by the grace of God. And let me say to you today, if you feel that way, you are wrong, and I'm not sure Christ lives in you. You get mad at me all you want to. I'm pretty far removed today. It's fine. <laughs> Don't forget that the good news isn't just good news for you. It's good news for all the people. Quit turning the good news into bad news. For the people that you know who are far away from God, express it to them in a way that it sounds like good news too. And let me say to you today, if you're in this room and you're just trying to figure out if you belong here before you believe anything, and you're still trying to figure out if the whole Jesus thing is real and who he is and what God may want for your life, let me just say to you, there's good news for you today because you're included in all the people. That a Savior, the Messiah, has come to the earth. You don't have to work for your own salvation. You just have to receive the free gift of God that is the baby come to earth at Christmas time, who would eventually go to a cross and be your salvation because him who knew no sin took on your sin and my sin when he was nailed to a cross. There's good news for you today that Jesus came to earth for you, just like he came for me and just like he came for others in this room today. I'm going to ask the band to come. So here's what I want us to do to respond today. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about those people that we know who need the good news. Who need to hear the good news that a Savior has come to the earth. And before we do anything, we're going to allow you today, if that's you, if you say, that, that's me, I, I, I need to respond to good news. I need a Savior. I need the Messiah, the Anointed One, to actually save me. We're going to give you a chance in just a moment to receive salvation. Just an acknowledgement that says, hey, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And so today, before I walk out of these doors and before I get into that week of busyness leading up to Christmas, I want to make sure that my heart is right. So we're going to give you that chance. And then for every single one of us, the band is going to lead us in a time of worship. And up against these walls are some little metal buckets there's one right over here, just next to that plug. There's one right over there, just on the outside of those black boxes. And inside of those buckets are markers. And I told you we were going to respond in a specific way. Here's what I'm going to allow you to do during this time of worship. I hope you'll take me up on it. Pick up a marker. And if you want to write on this floor, you go ahead and write on it. We're going to cover it up later. If you want to write on these walls, you go ahead and write on these walls. And here's what I want you to write. I want you to write the names of people that you know who need to hear the good news. 
so that even if we put pain over those things that you've written, even if we put some carpet squares over these names that you've written on the floors in the next few days or next few weeks, every time we come to gather in this place, you can be reminded that this auditorium possesses your prayer for those people. You write down a sister, a brother, a son or a daughter, a mom or a dad, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. You write down a name. Just, Lord, save. Put their name. You put two names. You put five names. Put ten names. I don't care. You just take that marker and you write up on these walls. You write on this concrete. You sit down on the floor if you want to. You'll get a little dusty, but that's okay. You'll take with you the remnants of your prayer today. Because remember, it's good news for all the people. And together, you and I know some of all those people that need to hear the good news. And what better season than Christmas when Jesus came to the earth and for us to make it a matter of prayer that God would save, fill in the blank, whoever they may be. You write their name up on these walls. You write their name on these floors. We want to join with you in prayer. Here's what I know. Tomorrow morning, there's going to be a bunch of contractors that are going to show back up, and they're going to go, what in the world is all over? But I've already, I already told the foreman, when you get here, there's going to be some scribbled stuff on here, and it's okay. And here's my promise to you. I walk into this room a lot during the week, both during construction and afterwards. Every single time I walk through this room, I'm going to pray for those names. I'm going to pray for those names. I'm going to come up to this wall pray over every name you write. I'm going to just walk around the floor. God, save these people. I'm going to walk over to this wall. God, save these people because it's good news for all the people. And here's what I know. That should produce joy in us that we, those that have already accepted the free gift, the good news of salvation, we can have joy because he's already accounted for the one thing we can't control. God, thank you that you gave us Jesus Christ and that he was enough. God, now I write these names down because I want them to have the same joy that I have access to because I want the Spirit of God to begin working in their life. I want the Spirit of God to produce fruit in them that looks like joy and peace and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness. God, do these things in them just as you're doing them in me. God, give them joy. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Just for a moment. And if you would say to me today before we move on to anything else, you would say, Jeremy, listen, in this Christmas season, on December the 17th, I want this to be the day that I make things right with God. I need to ask him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I know I'm a sinner. I know that there's a part of my life that maybe I've held on to and I've not committed to him. And so today I want to make sure he's got complete control of me. And I want him to forgive my sins and guide my life from this day forward. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at and put it right back down. Thank you so much. A lot of hands today. A lot of hands today. God, I pray right now for every hand that was uplifted and every heart that just declared that they need you in their life, not just as a part of their life, but in complete control of their life. And so God, now we ask you, as they lifted their hand, I believe that was all you needed to see of their heart crying out to you. So God, we pray right now that you would forgive their sins, help them to, to just feel that sense of joy and peace that comes from you. God, as you hold on to the eternal security of who they are, and God, that they would spend eternity with you as they follow after you all the days of their life. 
So God, I thank you that that can produce joy in them. And I pray that today it is the most joy-filled day, not because it's a happy emotion, but because they are declaring now that the inside of them, their inner core is now declaring that you are the Lord of their life. And so God, we thank you for that. We lift you up today and we celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to stand with me right here. And I'm gonna pray one last short closing prayer and then the band's gonna lead us. And I encourage you, come up, get these buckets, grab a marker or two, walk up, just start writing on the walls. I encourage you, write on the floors. If you have the ability to get down on the floors, go ahead and write those. Because every single Sunday, you're going to come in and you're going to stand on top of those prayers. God, we pray right now for every person that we know who does not have a relationship with you. God, I ask you now to save their souls. Salvation is not an us versus them. God, we're not on the good side looking at people on the bad side. God, we, we are reaching out with arms stretched as far as we can stretch. And we ask you, God, to make our arms go farther so that we can help reach them because you desire to reach them. God, help produce joy in them, produce joy in us because of the free gift of salvation that is available to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.